but, but I'm really glad that you're here. I hope you're um, visiting with family or you've got family coming into town. I hope that it's just going to be a great time for you. We've been in this series called Adventure, and we've been talking about risk a lot of different ways, and today we're talking about the risk of parenthood. And the truth is, parenthood is kind of inherently risky. Behind, beyond things like infant mortality rates and um, the difficulties of pregnancies, there's just a risk um, that our kids will end up, you know, exactly like us <laughs> or not like us at all. It's, those are the risks that we have a tendency to deal with, right? They, they, and why is it that when your kid does something, when your child does something that's not great, you definitely can see yourself in them? You're like, why did those genetics get through and not like the compassionate, benevolent part of me? right? This is the problem that we have. So there's this risk of parenthood that happens, but there is an even greater risk in the parenthood when it comes to the story of Joseph and Mary. We spent time last week in the text of um, Luke and how the angels, the messengers were talking to Mary and Joseph um, and and certainly the shepherds. But today we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew and recognizing that Mary and Joseph had to take a massive risk from the social stigma um, to traveling, right? Visitation from the angels to carrying God's son and then having to raise God's son. And I think we don't linger on that piece very much. I probably won't too much today either. But, um, you know, it wasn't just that they gave birth to this child. It's that they had to raise this child. And the truth is, there's risk involved and no parenting story. There's really no parenting story that doesn't have risk. I bet if we talked to every parent in the room, they would be, they would talk about a specific risk that was involved with their, um, their whole kind of pregnancy story. I can remember ours with my daughter, Hannah, who's our oldest child. We moved in the seventh month of pregnancy from San Diego up here to Riverside, um, where we were living at the time. And, um, you know, new doctors, the whole thing. So we missed, we missed some things. So as we're in labor, as she's in labor, and as I'm watching, let's be clear, um, I was not involved in the pain, so I don't get to grab any credit, nor should I. Um, when she was in labor, all of a sudden the midwife says, hey, this baby's breech. And I'm like, oh, good, because I didn't read anything. Uh, I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, oh, good. And she's like, not good. This is, you're, you're fully dilated and we have to do an emergency C-section. So they grabbed my wife, um, wheeled her out. I'm standing there in the midst of all these machines just beeping, just this horrible moment. They throw scrubs at me and they go, we'll come get you when we need you. And I'm like, if you need me, we're in real trouble because I don't do this sort of thing. I can pray outside, probably the best thing I can do. I'm a professional at that. I have a doctorate in that sort of thing. And um, I, you know, I remember going into the operating theater and, and watching this whole amazing thing happen. There's risk involved. But once you get the kid, then you've got to raise these kids. And that's inherently risky. It always has been. We have hopes for our kids, right? We have dreams for our kids. And we, we want them to, to grow up healthy, wealthy, and wise. We want them to grow up to be these wonderful people. You know, there's always a dad who somehow is a little bit too excited about the particular sport he played in high school. And, you know, he looks at that baby and he's like, oh, that's a football player. And I'm like, it looks more like a football than a player. But yeah, maybe. I don't know. They can tell. Um, and we're raising these kids in a risky world. 
You know, it's a dicey place. Way different than when I grew up. I grew up in the 70s. Like, we didn't even have seatbelts in the car. You remember that? Remember, like, when seatbelts became a thing? I was like, our cars have seatbelts? I don't even know where they are. Like, when I grew up, you could ride in the back of a truck down the freeway. Nobody would say anything. If a cop saw you, he'd be like, have a good time. Like, oh, this is awesome. Um, yeah, just, we, we grew up, and I mean, it was riskier because we didn't have these safety things in place. It's different now. Parents are different now. Um, when, when my daughter, again, was uh, probably eight or nine years old, we lived around the corner from the Loma Linda Library. And by around the corner, I mean, I could see it from my front yard. And so she had rented, rented checked out library books. You don't rent them, do you? She had checked out some library books, and she wanted to take them back and get some new books. And she said, Dad, can I ride my bike? And I looked at my wife, and we're like, yeah, sure, you can ride your bike by yourself. It's literally over there. Like, it's not a big deal. So she gets on her bike. She starts to go. And uh, my wife videos her and posts a little picture of her, posts a little video of her on Facebook going, hey, Hannah's taking her first little trip on her own bike. And the hate that she got online was shocking. People like, how can you let her do that? They're going to steal her. And he, like, there's a lot of like very high anxiety parenting going on through Facebook at that point. Um, we've got to raise these kids, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go back to scripture and we'll start with the story. Matthew 1, 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, this kind of seems like the cliff note version as opposed to what we saw in Luke. Matthew just gets right to the point, right? Succinct, clear, but clearly this is going to be a risky situation. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, this is super reasonable, And for the context that they were living in, it wasn't only reasonable, it was thoughtful and it was kind. He was actually agreeing to not shame her in public, but just simply wanted this to kind of go away. Um, And I got to say, you know, we, we preach sermons about Joseph, although we don't know much about him, but it begins at this place. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. He was righteous and he was thoughtful. And what he was doing was reasonable for the context that they found themselves in. However, we know this, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, Jesus always changes the context that we find ourselves in. So while it was very reasonable what he was going to do to just let it go quietly, when Jesus shows up and the context changes, it means that we make decisions based on something else, something different, and oftentimes something unreasonable. And Joseph experienced this through an encounter with an angel. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the social implications. There's something bigger happening. There's something unreasonable. People aren't going to understand what you believe in. People aren't going to understand what you, what you know. And that's okay. Because you're not living this life for you anymore. You're now living your life for something more. And then Matthew one twenty one, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he, will, for he will save people from their sins. So this is the promise of the Messiah, right? And think about this for a moment. All of history was leading us to this moment. 
And Joseph and Mary were at the center of it all. I mean, he must have known the prophecies, which we'll hear about in just a moment. He must have known that this was the culmination of God's plan. And to be thrust into the middle of it must have been shocking. Because at this point, everything that he had believed in was proving to be true. Everything that he had hoped for, everything that he believed in, even though he didn't know for sure, now it's true. And, and we, we live in that place before that confirmation, right? That, that we believe this to be true. We want this to be true. We hope that this would be true. But we don't have the confirmation like this. What would that information do for you and to you? I mean, it would blow your mind, right? It would confirm so much that you had hoped for. Would knowing that it's all true change the way you live? Might. Might not. You might already be living that way. What would that affirmation do? And I've always wondered, would it alleviate the risk knowing that it's true? Or would it make things that much riskier? Matthew one twenty two. all this occurred to fulfill the message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So maybe this is the better question. The better question is, what is the risk of God being with us? And it's, I know it sounds like a strange question because it's what everybody wants, right? We want God to be with us. If we can feel the presence of God, experience the presence of God, if God is with us and we can confirm that, then, hey, everything's going to be great. I won't question, I won't, I, won't, I won't, you know, doubt, I won't have any issues anymore, except that that's never been the case when God is with us. Things have always gotten riskier when God is with us. I mean, if God showed up today, would we be any different than the ancient Israelites were? Would we run into the arms of a loving God or would we shy away keeping our own agendas together? Because the risk of God being with us is that our lives will change forever. By the way, this is the same risk as the risk of parenthood. Right? For those of you who have had kids, you know, like you go into the hospital on a Tuesday and life is one way. And you come out on Wednesday and it's never the same again. Or you come out on Thursday or Friday or Saturday, in which case I'm really sorry because that's a really long labor. Right? I, I, it's such a shock because you think life is one way. I always love it when people say, do you think they're ready to have kids? No. Because no one's ever ready to have kids, ever. You may be stable financially. You may have a great job and a great house. You may have all those things. And then you have a kid and you're like, well, I don't know. No idea what to do with this because everything changes. I remember bringing Hannah home. Everything changed from that moment on. I would no longer make a decision without considering her. I would no longer make any decisions without considering her. And that has remained true to this day. Right? 22 years, I still make decisions based on the fact that I now have this child and not just her, a couple others. I know their names, <laughs> just to be clear. I almost forgot. It's Jacob and Isaac. Um, I'm going to cough real quick. Hang on. Excuse me. Don't take up smoking. Uh, 
I don't smoke. And if I did, it would take longer for me to get that cough. Why do I say things? Um, so so this, this, the fact that God is here changes everything. When you have a child, everything changes. It's great. But it's real. It doesn't just go away. And Joseph, for Joseph, everything changed. Because he had made this decision, right? He had made this decision to step away to not publicly shame her. But when he wakes up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And his life changed forever. Nothing was the same. Of course, now the responsibility of God with us begins. And and this is the problem. Like, God didn't show up and leave and this is the this is an issue that we can have in church. You you desperately want the presence of God in your worship and that sort of thing. So you come to church and you're just drenched in the presence of God. But like by Sunday morning, you've forgotten it. Like you, nothing changes in your life. You interact the same way you have with other people, good and bad, right? And then by the end of the week, you're like, oh, I need to give me some Jesus again. And then you come back to church. See, that's not how it works with the presence of God. It's not how it works with your kid. You can't one day a week parent your kid. Well, you can, but you're going to need a lot of help. And unfortunately, when people parent their children one day a week, oftentimes the state has to get involved because it's not a great outcome. All right, so how do you feel about God with us? Because when God's with us, God stays with us. Right? It's not just, and it's not just God with you, it's God with us. It's the fact that God is with us all here. So this, there's this community that coheres around the fact that God is with us. It changes us as a group. Because much like Mary and Joseph, as the parents of Jesus, teaming together to bring Jesus into the world, like them, we are teaming together to bring Jesus into the world. This God is with us means that we play a part in making sure other people know that God is with us. So how does your crosswalk bring Christ into the world? How is God with us? And when do we do this, by the way? Do we do it when we become members? Do we do it when, you're like, what is the right time? I love Galatians 4.4. 4. And, and in the English Standard Version, I really like that translation, although we, li- we read the New Living Translation. In the English Standard Version, it says, when the fullness of time had come. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to law. I like when the fullness of time had come because that sounds like pregnancy, right? When the fullness of time had come. Israel waited hundreds of years and then the right time showed up. Then that, then that world that was pregnant for the presence of God, it gave it to us. So when is the right time for you to express the presence of God, for you to bring Jesus into the world? Is it the second coming? Is that what we're waiting for? Or is it right now? Is it today? Is it in this moment? Well, the truth is, the right time is precisely when God shows up. Right? Right? God with us is not time-stamped. So it can happen at any point. In fact, I think this is what we've got to recognize. 
I think what we've got to recognize is that God with us is less about God showing up and more about us recognizing and acknowledging that the Holy Spirit has had God show up in our lives all the time. So it's less about when God decides to come because he decided to come a long time ago. It's about when we accept and are aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because as I said, the world is pregnant with the presence of God. God came into this world 2,000 years ago or so as a human being, as a child. But his presence has lasted since then till now. And for some reason, God is asking us to team up together and let the world know that Jesus is here. Not just in the Christmas season, but every moment of our lives. And when we've experienced the presence of God in our lives, and we've experienced that change that changes us forever, we now no longer make decisions based on just what we want, just the reasonableness of our lives. We make decisions based on the unreasonableness of God in our lives. And what's fascinating is that God doesn't really need us to do this, but he wants to partner with us. How do we know God doesn't need us? Because in Luke 19.40, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The world is so pregnant with the presence of God that the stones will cry out. There's nothing that can stop the presence of God in the world, whether it's announced by angels, by shepherds, by kings, by wise men, by family, or even the rocks. God's presence permeates this world. The time is now, and God is with us now. So what are you doing to acknowledge the presence of God and to birth God into the world? The good news is there's not the social stigma. There's not the trip to Bethlehem. There's not the assumption of all that risk that Mary and Joseph had to make. It's just you deciding that the presence of God is so good and such a gift that you must give it away again and again and again. The right time is now and God is with us now. God doesn't need you. He can use rocks. But I don't know the last time you talked to a rock. It's relatively unexciting. But you're not. Rocks are relatively flat, but you're not. Rocks don't have great conversations, but you do. So God has chosen every single one of you to bring his presence into the world, to be Mary, to be Joseph for the time being. And he's chosen you because he believes in you. So this Christmas season, I want you to have an amazing time. I want you to have the best food, the best family, the best friends. But I want you to remember every single one of those things is an opportunity to speak into the presence of God. 
to let Jesus be a little more in this world and to recognize the fact that God loves you, that he is for you, that his grace is an incredible gift to you, and that he has a job for you, a plan for your life that will always include sharing that love that you felt from him to other people. I was shopping with my wife uh, last Sunday. We hadn't started our Christmas shopping. Like, I don't know that's late. If you haven't started it yet, you're too late for Amazon. It's over. Like, it's done now. But we, had, we hadn't started. We hadn't started. And so we went and we, did, you know, kind of had a list and we went and we started, like, just, like, intensely shopping. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. But we were, like, on it. And I got kind of grossed out by the whole thing by the end. You know, it may have had to do with the fact that I ate, like, four pretzels from Wetzel's Pretzels because they're everywhere. Everywhere. Um, no, I kind of by the end of the day, I was just grossed out on kind of the, the money that we had spent. And, you know, I love giving gifts to my kids, but like it was to do it all in one day was a lot. And we're normally more organized, but we weren't this year. And, you know, you always think one more gift, one more gift, one more gift. And they know this. So they put these like really bad gifts right by the cash register. They're like, oh, that, my son needs this last moment. Um, but I've been reflecting on that all week, that experience and the way I felt at the end of the day. The gift that we talk about, this presence of God, this forgiveness, this grace, this hope. You can't go to a store and buy it. You can't go online and get next day shipping so that it'll show up at just the right time. It's something that comes from the love that God has for us. And it's this gift that he has given to us that he says, I just want you to re-gift this and re-gift it and re-gift it. And that transcends what all this has become. And we're reminded that we serve this God who is the king of heaven who decided to make himself lowly, condescend, come to us so that we would understand what the presence of God really truly is. And we would share that with whoever we could. So this Christmas, know that your partnership to show the world who Jesus is, is important. And the gift that you have to give is the most precious of all. Let's bow our heads. Lord of grace, I just want to thank you for your willingness to be part of this world that your presence may be felt in the worship that we sing 
in the words that we read, in the relationships that we have. And Lord, may we come to understand what it means to live in your presence more and more each day so that we feel utterly and tragically despondent when you're not there. And we know that all we have to do is recognize it again. So Lord, thank you for transcending all and being here with us. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.